0: Although I'm a doctor by profession, I'm not your doctor. All content and information on this podcast and on our website is for informational and educational purposes and does not constitute medical advice and does not establish any kind of patient-client relationship by use of our site. Although we strive to present accurate information, the podcast and website are not a substitute for your healthcare provider. Always consult a healthcare professional who knows your particular needs and circumstances before making any health-related decisions.
1: Also, there are curse words that are unedited and graphic descriptions of bodies, bodily fluids, and other real-life scenarios that might make some listeners uncomfortable. Yeah, I said it.
0: I'm Dr. Suzanne Ciotti. And I'm Becca Hammer. Welcome to the Perimena Podcast.
1: of the day, thyroid issues. There are so many recognized symptoms that are associated with paramenopause. There's like 35. And we have tried to go in depth onto most of these in the series, breaking them down one by one and telling you what's happening and why, biologically what's going on. And then of course, what can you do about relieving some of the symptoms? Here's the thing. What no one talks about are the other things that might be triggered as a result of your batshit crazy hormones. (laughs) Today, we're going to talk about one of them, and it's thyroid issues. I mean, no one would blame you if you confused your constellation of perimenopause symptoms and not seeing that it was actually your thyroid that's at play. So, Suzanne, I'm wrapped with
0: attention. Tell me all
1: about the thyroid Mm -hmm. and what someone may be experiencing. Mm -hmm.
0: You're right, Becca, there's so much overlap between the common symptoms of menopause and hypothyroidism. That's also underactive thyroid. So it can be really confusing to most women what exactly is going on. So just to review, the symptoms that are the same in both menopause and also in hypothyroidism are weight gain, fatigue, sleep issues, dry skin, hair loss, brain fog, night sweats, menstrual changes, infertility, depression, joint pain. Sounds familiar?
1: (laughs) Oh my God, Suzanne. How am I supposed to know? That is Mm -hmm. everything that perimenopause Mm -hmm. is. Are you kidding me? Right. That's what... That's what hypothyroidism looks like too. Yes.
0: Yeah. Because, and because menopause and thyroid issues are really hard to distinguish from each other with other, with the symptoms alone, many women will assume that they're only experiencing men- perimenopause and will just tough it out. When in reality, they may be able to consider treatment for, with thyroid medications and for those symptoms a lot sooner. However, it doesn't mean that all women require thyroid medications and menopause but it might mean that you should be screened with the appropriate lab tests, especially prior to starting any kind of medications at all for estrogen replacement therapy. Or if your symptoms are getting worse or they're lasting more than a year, then we definitely want to evaluate your thyroid.
1: All right, well, before we get too far afield, let's do a quick <laughs> Thyroid 101. Mm-hmm.
0: Yes, okay, so bear with me. Here we'll get a little scientific. So what exactly does the thyroid hormone do? So it's a small hormone that's made by the thyroid gland in your neck and it controls all of the metabolism and nearly all of your cells. So it revs that activity up and it helps the body to stay warm and helps with glucose regulation. So why- Burns calories. Yes, Burns calories. Right. Mm-hmm. That's right. So
1: I don't think I have a thyroid.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's absolutely what a lot of women suspect when they're having weight gain, fatigue, that sort of thing. And why does this happen? Why is it that maybe you'll have thyroid issues about the same time that you're also having menopause or perimenopause? It's because those extreme hormonal changes may trigger activation of autoimmune diseases by influencing some of the cells in our immune system. So these are the the fighter cells of infection. Uh, And this can happen in pregnancy, adolescence, and in menopause. It causes those cells of the immune system to go into overdrive autoimmune disease is when your body attacks its own cells rather than foreign cells, like a virus or a bacteria. So some of the disease states that can happen or diseases that are autoimmune, you might've heard of rheumatoid arthritis, asthma, eczema, lupus, and then the topic of today, thyroid. So you can produce thyroid antibodies that attack your thyroid. Those specific thyroid antibodies result in a Hashimoto's thyroiditis, or they could result in Graves' disease. So, one results in ultimately low thyroid, and the other one in high thyroid function or hyperthyroidism. You might want to review a little bit yeah, that let's, low let's, and high thyroid. That's usually the next let's step. Let's
1: stop there because that's one of those crazy pants things that I don't, I, I always get confused because sometimes I see they talk about low thyroid, but high result, high test results. And I'm like, how could something high be low and have yeah. something low be high? <laughs>
0: <Right>. So yeah, <laughs> walk me through right. that. Right, <laughs> right. Yeah. So definitely that what the diseases are, or what we diagnose you with, that's, that's exactly what they are. So hypo, Thyroidism is Meaning when under, your thyroid remember, is low, right? SAT is lower, exactly. Hypo is under. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And hyperthyroidism uh, definitely means and the thi- thyroid is high. But what gets confusing is the tests that we do are exactly opposite of what you think. So when we have a TSH or thyroid stimulating hormone that is low, it actually means that you have really high circulating thyroid uh, hormone in your bloodstream. And when that TSH is high, the thyroid stimulating hormone, you actually have low circulating thyroid hormone. And that's when your hypothyroid is when your TSH is too high. So that's where people get really, really, really confused, including medical students. (laughs) And so, you know, it's one that we definitely it helps to have a little bit of a visual or some other kind of strategy for to try to remember.
1: Yeah. And we're going to put that up on the website because, so just to, just to recap what I heard. So the TSH test is actually testing how many signals your brain is sending to your thyroid.
0: Right. Exactly. It's a, right. from your, your, uh, hypothalamus stimulating your pituitary mm-hmm. gland to make the TSH exactly. So when it's circulating low, it just screams out, hey, we need more thyroid. So it makes it higher Mm -hmm. so that that will stimulate the thyroid gland. Yes, so... Um, So that's true. And then same thing when there's so much thyroid on board, the hypothalamus and pituitary gland get really quiet because they see, wait, there's too much. We don't want a single signal anymore. So that gets very low. So hopefully that's a little bit more of a visual of what's happening uh, in the body and what we're measuring. It's confusing though.
1: Yeah. And just a footnote. So a question, you mentioned the word Hashimoto's Mm -hmm. thyroid. Is there a is there a plain old hyperthyroidism and a Hashimoto's? Are they different somehow? Or are they both the same? Yeah,
0: so what that's a name? good question. Um, hypothyroidism, there are different ki- reasons why it happens. Sometimes it can happen because you have uh, not enough iodine in your diet, so that's more common in countries that might, might have uh, iodine deficiency from diet issues. And then for uh, for in the United States... Uh, other countries developed, developed, developed countries. Yes, it might be more that the Hashimoto's is the reason why ultimately people develop hypothyroidism down the line. And that can happen over years and years and years of having low grade inflammation in your thyroid. Or sometimes it happens in bouts, like you get a really strong um, uh, issue with uh, producing those antibodies. And that really blows the thyroid out quickly. So it can happen quickly or slowly. Um, and it's probably re, it's probably responsible for 85% of hypothyroidism, uh, especially in the United States. It is a subset of hypothyroidism though. It's just one of the potential reasons why. And for some, we're not sure why we don't know why it happened. It might be that we just didn't pick the antibodies up that happened in the past and they just weren't high enough at the time of when we try, finally figured it out to be positive on the test, but it's okay. lucky, lucky, right. lucky, lucky that we that we this is easy to diagnose just with blood tests uh, alone. So if we order the the right correct uh, lab test as physicians, we can mm. really help you figure out first mm. do you have a low or high thyroid, and also why is it happening. So the appropriate blood testing would be a thyroid panel, and that's a few thyroid markers, including that thyroid-stimulating hormone we were talking about that's pretty wacky. And then there's just measuring the thyroid itself. There's a free T3 and a free T4, and those are the kind of the active... One is an active form, and the other one's kind of the precursor to thyroid... So we measure that, those three components, and that helps us to determine do you have low or high thyroid. And then we can also measure those thyroid antibodies. So anti-microsomal antibodies, anti-thyroglobulin antibodies. Um, So those are helpful for distinguishing. Do we have, have, might, might you have Hashimoto's thyroiditis or Graves' disease? So if we get those tests back, that's a great screening test. And if they're negative, then probably you don't have a thyroid issue.
1: Interestingly, too, is that even without asking, and maybe because of my age or whatever, uh, the last several years when I've gone in for an annual physical, Mm -hmm. uh, they do a thyroid test. Mm -hmm. Boom. Right.
0: Right. Yeah, and some. Of, I
1: mean, it's like I don't, I don't ask for it or anything. Yeah,
0: sometimes it's just uh, uh, when we reach a certain age, then then uh, certain tests get to be ones that we do for screening. And doing a thyroid periodically is still recommended for screening. Um, some, uh, if, and especially, insurances are, are required to do those tests that we like to do for screening if they're recommended by the USPTF, the United States Preventative Task Force. So, um, so that's great.
1: All right. So I, let's say I have a test, I get a test back and it indicates that there's something quote wrong, hypo or hyperthyroidism with my thyroid. Mm -hmm. Does this mean that I'm not actually in perimenopause? I mean, or can they exist together in the world?
0: Right. So that, that's the thing too, is that, uh, you know, usually they can exist together. That's because that menopausal state producing a lot of stress on your system might've really triggered that autoimmune disease to kind of express itself. So they can definitely occur together. Uh, so it could be that you do have both things happening at the same time. And that makes it a little tricky. Yes. Yes. To know which do, what do we do, because which one do we try to fix first? Which one is actually causing the symptoms? Since all the symptoms are pretty much the same, will I get better if I take thyroid or if I take uh, estrogen replacement therapy? So, so It that... feels a
1: little like whack-a-mole.
0: I'm not lying. <laughs> yeah. It's
1: like, I have the symptom. Go get it. Boom. There'll right. be something else. Pop it up over here. <laughs>
0: Right. And and what I want to say too is there's definitely kind of ranges of hypothyroidism you can have. Like you can be just barely in the abnormal range uh, and not even have symptoms. So some people whose TSH is a little bit high, but they don't even have any symptoms at all. And then there are some people- All right. People, what's a little
1: bit high? What's so, a little bit yes. high number? So uh, the
0: range of normal is about 0. 0.5 to 3.5 on a TSH. So, uh, kind of this this uh, kind of mild hypothyroidism would be that the TSH is still less than 10, uh, but it's above 3.5. And then anything above 10 is probably really good old hypothyroidism, and probably you would you would be best served by just starting the medication. If you're in that gray zone, though, it might be that you could try alternative sorts of things that might be helpful, uh, some of them related to diet uh, or supplements, Um, or you could just wait if you don't want to take a medicine regularly because you're not having symptoms. Um, But if you're in that above 10 zone, then you probably should start a thyroid medication uh, regularly. So if you have both things going on, it's probably best to only start one thing you know, don't start the estrogen and the thyroid together because you won't necessarily know which one is helping your symptoms. So it's best to start. I like to recommend the thyroid first so that way you can see how many of your symptoms get better because maybe you don't need estrogen replacement therapy to control your symptoms. Maybe that was the, the whole problem all the way around, you that you don't have a lot of symptoms from your menopause, but you do from the thyroid. So I'd like to start there for a minimum of four to six okay. weeks.
1: Okay. So what I hear you saying then is, let's say I get my test back and I'm a 20, yeah. well, 20, that meantime, what did you call it? Like good old thyroidism? <laughs> oh. thyroid? Did you really call it good old hypothyroidism? I think I might have
0: called it good old hypothyroidism. I think you did. I, it was my folksy so way I, of saying it's not anything complicated. <laughs> right.
1: All right. I'm a 20. I've got good old hypo, hypothyroidism. And and what we want to do... For, but I'm also in perimenopause. Mm-hmm. And so what we want to do first then is go after the thyroid. Right. It's kind of like... Treating the thyroid is a tried and true, right? right? I go on the thyroid medication, mm-hmm. it impacts that and it alleviates certain symptoms that also are also associated with perimenopause. Right. So I should try that first for four to six weeks see which one of my symptoms have been alleviated Mm -hmm. before I then also
0: jump into hormone replacement therapy. Yeah. Right. And since we're talking about perimenopause, so those women who are like in their late forties or like, or maybe 40 to 50 that find that they have low thyroid and are really thinking also that they are having symptoms related to perimenopause, this is crucial to do the thyroid first, because you might have, uh, like your periods go back to normal if you start that thyroid medicine they're so closely linked so so it might be if you even if you're having really heavy periods and you're feeling like I want to do something else taking your thyroid medicine might actually make those periods lighter uh so so that you might get some relief of that um Sometimes people okay. get kind of joint pain related to low thyroid and you know we talked about joint pain with menopause that might get better if with taking the thyroid and definitely fatigue which helps your sleep cycle um getting that energy will help your you sleep better at night too so that's a, another thing that can help your concentration will get better on thyroid medicine so so definitely trying that one first
1: okay and then but there was another one on the scale so you said there's normal mm-hmm. and then there's good old over ten <laughs> yeah <laughs> but then you mentioned that there was this kind of like this gray space above 3.5 and 10
0: mm-hmm.
1: where I don't have to do anything or you mentioned that there could be I don't have to go on medication there could be a dietary? Yes,
0: right. That's where we are right now. So I'm really glad that we're talking about it because this, uh, there, I don't think that people always get offered that you can try something different and it might actually help besides just taking the medication because the medication is something that's a little bit of a pain in the neck to take. It has to be on Mm -hmm. an empty stomach. So, so we'll, and we'll talk about that a little bit more. So I'm really glad that we can talk about that a little bit more. What I like to recommend is an anti-inflammatory diet, and that's where you eliminate those foods that we know are very common allergens, uh, and those are wheat, dairy, soy, nuts, and eggs. I mean, you probably have heard a lot of people have lactose intolerance. A lot of people have allergies to wheat. There's a, always that kid in your class who's allergic to peanuts, as when you're in elementary school. Um, they're just Not when very... we were in elementary school. Nobody <laughs> yeah. was allergic to peanuts when we were in elementary school,
1: Suzanne. That's, I swear to God, that's a, that's a millennial,
0: right. Gen Z thing. So the, <laughs> so doing that kind of diet, eliminating them. And the good news is really just eliminate them for two weeks. You don't have to do it for months and months. Oh. Uh, just try it for two weeks and then add one thing back at a time uh, and give it a, cu- a few days, three days in between each thing. and see how it is that you feel, like if you notice that you're having any kind of symptoms, like you notice that you start having some trouble with more fatigue or headache or itchy rash or trouble breathing, then maybe you do have a sensitivity to that food or gut issues. Um, so, uh, so sometimes that can indicate that you do have a sensitivity or an allergy to that food and that you're actually setting yourself up for more of this inflammation or autoimmune response. Um the other thing that helps helps the the whole inflammatory inflammation of the body is healing the gut. That's kind of a kind of a big um topic or big strategy, especially in functional medicine. And some so of So I'm supposed to load up on probiotics. Right, yes, exactly. Probiotics can be helpful and prebiotics. So those foods that are really help feed that good bacteria, which are really high fiber foods uh, that are found in natural sources like fruits and vegetables and whole grains. So bacteria love those things. Another thing is aloe vera uh, juice. Like a plant? Yeah, aloe vera juice can be very healing to the gut. So the intestines, glutamine. Uh, can be very helpful too. And then there's two supplements, uh, they can be often be found together. uh, Tyrosine, which is an amino acid and iodine, which is generally found in kelp, which is kind of a kind of a seaweed that you can get dehydrated at the at, you know, a natural food source. They're often found together as thyroid support, because they're both needed for your body to make thyroid hormone, they need tyrosine and iodine. So, uh,
1: didn't you say? Didn't I mean? Didn't you just say earlier though that the standard American diet has so much sodium in it that none of us should be suffering from a lack of iodine? Well, and
0: and here this is a good thing to clarify because so you know iodine was added to salt as kind of a um, a health measure uh, just because people do use a lot of salt. So in order to defeat that um, iodine deficiency uh, that causes goiter. So it, um, it was a health measure done, kind of a public health measure that was done but there's a lot of salt out there that doesn't is not fortified with iodine. So, you know, like Mort, Morton salt is table salt is fortified with iodine, but maybe if you're getting yours from like a natural sea so, a sea salt, you might not be getting that additional iodine. You might be getting a little, but not that additional. So, so yeah, that's Himalayan good. pink salt. You might have a that's- tiny tiny bit, but not anywhere near <laughs> as much. It has a lot of other minerals. Uh, so I'm just kidding. I mean, I'm, I am
1: a big fan of the Himalayan pink salt right now. Mm -hmm. I know, I know the trend has passed, but it doesn't mean that I don't still love it. Right. Okay. Okay. Thank you for that. Well, I was, because I figured people would say, no, no, we all eat way too much salt. There's no way I could be iodine deficient, Mm -hmm. but uh
0: huh. Yeah. Right. And it's not as common actually in this country, but because you need both of those things, it's bet, this is a great time to make sure that you have them both on board so that you're, you know, you have the, the chemicals needed to make that thyroid hormone while you're letting it recover. So we also can follow those thyroid antibodies. So we just measure them. Like I'll, when I'll tell people, okay, now time to try this anti-inflammatory diet and then we'll check them again in about three months and see did they go down? And that means that your diet was successful in helping that inflammation in your thyroid. Uh, and that that's a real motivator for people to either continue doing what they're doing uh, or um, if it's not it's not not making any effect, we would just stop that. Okay.
1: Okay, so Suzanne, it sounds like to me that one of the things that we should provide on our blog is a link to how you can go about doing and doing your own anti inflammatory diet.
0: Yeah. Right. Because it
1: sounds like there's a number of things I need to take out and then I you know, there's all these I mean, I don't, I don't want to live without dairy and eggs, quite frankly, but you know, I guess if I had to, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but so go to the, if you're interested in thinking about the anti-inflammatory diet, go to the blog, click on the link and you can find out how you can start doing that anti-inflammatory diet. What do you need to take out and how do you add things back in to find out how you feel?
0: Right. So uh, the other condition I wanted to mention is Graves' disease. So that's also an autoimmune type of uh, um, issue with the thyroid that actually causes increased thyroid function. So you get these symptoms of overactive thyroid, which includes feeling really hot, right? We talked about hot flashes. It's a common symptom of menopause. So it could be that some of that kind of feeling hot is related to hot flashes, It also causes weight loss, so that's not really one of those menopause symptoms as much. And a rapid heartbeat, though, a rapid heartbeat, we talked about that being a potential uh, uh, symptom of menopause. Uh, But Graves' disease can't really be treated as well with that anti-inflammatory diet. Um, it usually needs a proper evaluation by an endocrinologist. So by a specialist, because it can progress to something that's pretty severe, a thyroid storm where you're really over, you're over stimulating that endocrine system and your metabolism. And it might cause too much of a rapid heart rate and really, really high blood pressure. So that one usually needs to be evaluated by an endocrinologist. Okay. Good to know. Good to know. So, so the, and
1: and then, and so, so what would my number look like on a TSA?
0: Oh, no. Immeasurable. T T S H. Yeah. Less than 0.01, less than 0.01. It's not usually measurable. Uh, So it actually shows up as a less than sign 0.01. It's so, so stinking low. We can't even Mm -hmm. measure it just because, uh, you know, your brain's going, Hey, that's enough. We don't really need any more. Uh, And there's not any other way to kind of shut that thyroid off. So that's why we usually use other medications to kind of lower the heart rate and blood pressure and actually to kind of, kind of, um, cause the that thyroid to not be stimulated quite as much. So our last uh, kind of treatment- Thyroid storm. Yeah, thyroid storm. It's that. very, storm. very very rare. It's not a very common thing to happen uh, with perimenopause, but it is in that realm of autoimmune diseases that affect the thyroid. So I just wanted to mention it. Okay, good to know. And now we get to move on to good old hypothyroidism. <laughs> what are the treatments of good old hypothyroidism, which I don't mean to, uh, to, um, you know, cause make it not appear to be a serious condition. It is something that is definitely serious because once you get that low thyroid, it is a lifetime of taking medicine. It doesn't usually recover once you get into that phase that you're, yes, you're, your thyroid is that low or having that much trouble making thyroid hormone so that that can be a a real uh, hardship for people to have to take that medication regularly and it also means that you have to do the lab testing regularly. And the common allopathic treatment that we use for thyroid, or prescription, uh, or prescription, allopathic exactly, prescription. right? Prescription is levothyroxine or Armour thyroid. Those are two different kinds of forms of thyroid, and they're just pills that you just take once a day. But they they are a lifetime of medicine. Uh, And they do have to be taken a really particular way. So they have to be taken on an empty stomach because food, caffeine interfere with the absorption of thyroid. So, So that's kind of a, can be hard if you have a busy morning you're trying to get to work at eight o'clock you know you're getting up at at 6 30 and you're trying to drink your coffee brush your hair where do you fit in grabbing a bite uh, when do you take that thyroid that makes it it makes it a little more complicated to have to add that into the schedule in the morning and then Yuck. then anytime we adjust the thyroid at all especially or especially when you're first starting off we have uh it we have to recheck it in about six to eight weeks And anytime there's an adjustment, we have to recheck it six to eight weeks to make sure that that dose was the correct dose. And that usually the first year, it's every three months of checking thyroid. So, So it's a lot of lab tests as well. When you're stable, it's usually about every six months that we'll check the thyroid.
1: So we've talked about it a lot and we make it seem as if like everybody's getting this, but how common is this whole, you know, my, uh, my hormones, how common is it that my perimenopausal wack-a-noodle hormones are actually setting off a thyroid problem? What percentage of the population are we really talking
0: about? You know, for those people who are having it happen both at the same Mm -hmm. time, I'd probably say 5%. Not not a huge amount of people, but because there's such overlap in symptoms, you could be one who's suffering, trying to use your estrogen replacement therapy and not having any relief of symptoms, and really, this is there's something else going on. So that's why I wanted to mention it, and I also wanted to mention too, uh, before we stop our discussion, that you can take uh, estrogen with the thyroid if you get to, you've tried the thyroid four to six weeks, you're still having hot flashers, you're still having trouble feeling that fatigue, then maybe it's, is time to take estrogen as well. But at least you gave it a chance to see just how much that thyroid was going to help you. So you could, can take them both at the same time.
1: Yeah. Good to know. Good to know. Yeah. And, and again, I don't want, I don't want listeners to say like, oh my God, this is just more shit show pile on top of it. Mm-hmm. For some 5% lucky people. Yeah, it is a uh, part of what comes along with the big old package,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? <laughs> the, the, the hormonal package, but uh, you know, it, it's, it's relatively rare, but it happens. So we wanted to make sure you were aware.
0: Well, and I also want to mention, I mean, definitely there are people who are diagnosed with low thyroid or hypothyroidism earlier in life. Like they might have started it. they might've had it since a teenager, or like I said, sometimes like other hormonal changes like pregnancy, can cause uh, that that expression of hypothyroidism and inflammation and so they've been on thyroid medicine. So for those people actually menopause can be a time where things start getting a little out of whack. So um, and that just need to be monitored a little bit more frequently. So interesting yeah. that that for those people as well. Good to Only keep on a doctor would with.
1: say that that's interesting. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so to wrap this up, so here's what I heard you say. So that perimenopause and thyroid issues can look very, very similar, which which can lead you to not knowing if it's plain old perimenopause or your wacky hormones have triggered an autoimmune reaction and impacted your thyroid, right? Mm-hmm. It is super simple to get your thyroid checked with a blood test. Mm -hmm. I mean, honestly, like I said, I didn't even ask for it and they started testing for it. So here's the thing regarding tests that seem confusing. Stay with me on this one. And we may have a visual on the website too. If you have a high TSH test result, you are suffering from low thyroid. Very good. If your TSH test is low, you can have an overactive or high thyroid so hyper. In fact, if you do have a thyroid issue, there are medications that can help you manage it. But it's a lifelong condition. And you always want to start with the thyroid. As, as far as responses goes, try, try the thyroid first, address that. And then if you're not getting relief, think about estrogen, not the other way around mm-hmm. or not simultaneously.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then finally... For some people, and this is interesting news, and I'm really glad you said this because it sounds to me like a lot of physicians aren't going to recommend this out of the gates. If you're in that gray range on your hypothyroid test, you can actually try an anti-inflammatory diet first to see if it makes a difference before you go on a prescription medication. That's for those of you who are like, nope, I don't want to be on a lifelong med. Great. If you're, in a, if you're in a certain range, try the diet first. If that's not working, then you may have to look at something else. Mm-hmm. Very good.
0: That's Ooh. exactly what I said. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I love it when I get an A+. I love it when Dr. Suzanne gives me an A-plus on my
0: medical review. Right.
1: <laughs> All right. So let's talk about our next episode. Next time, we're going to continue our conversation of lesser-known potential symptoms associated with perimenopause, AAA, no, not the car travel group, asthma, allergies, and autoimmune problems. Yike! Join us wondering where the hell all this comes from on the next perimenopause.
0: would like to visit our website where reference materials and links to other podcasts are held, please visit us at www.theperimenopodcast.com.
1: If you have questions, comments, thoughts for another episode, please feel free to send us an email at theperimenopodcast@gmail.com at gmail.com.
0: Find more episodes wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Please do us a favor. If this information has been helpful for you, please like us, write a review if you're so inclined, and most importantly, share this podcast with another sister so she can be informed too.